Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond Farside Chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasha and today I'll be speaking to Anya Hanker and Yelena Moro, co-founders and editors of African Magazine. Yelena and Anya will be speaking about their adventures guerrilla trekking in Rwanda. Anya and Yelena, welcome and thank you so much for coming on to chat to me today. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, we're very excited. Thank you, Kesha. I'm really looking forward to this. Now, before we begin talking about Rwanda and gorillas, I just wanted to get a little bit of an introduction to the two of you. You are the co-founders and editors of African Magazine, based out of Germany. And African Magazine focuses on stories from the entire continent, talking about travel, about sustainability, about all of those interesting issues. Anya, I'd like to start with you and um, just get a little bit of a, of a feel of your story where your passion for Africa came from. How did you fall in love with the continent and what inspired you to launch the magazine? Um, so it might sound funny, but it all began with a book when I was 12 or 13 years old. So it was um, like a love story for beginners, so what teenagers read, but it um, played in the Serengeti. And um, this book did something with me. So I just knew the Serengeti, there was... A feeling with it and when um 2007 when i was my first time in africa i traveled to kenya and the moment i arrived i knew that's it that's where i belong where my heart belongs to so a couple of years later i kind of forced my husband um to do our honeymoon in south africa <laughs> and um uh, so I started as travel, um, not as only as travel journalist, I started as a wine and food journalist and travel um, came um, a little bit later. Um, and with this in mind, um, Cape Town and the wine lens, that was like my, my piece of heaven. So I really fell in love with South Africa. And then I started trying to sell stories about South Africa and chefs and wine estates and traveling in South Africa to German speaking magazines here and it went very well but it was those magazines weren't specialized in africa so i sold one story to a magazine and then they told me um i have to wait a year because now they have to focus on italy or somewhere else in the world because it wasn't all over africa and um during my travels to South Africa and to um, other African countries, I recognized that always when I was on ground, I met many German-speaking tourists. Um, and with these two things in mind and um, really wanting to tell all the stories I experienced, I just thought, naive as I was, um, let's make a magazine out of it. Wonderful. I love that. I think for a journalist, the fact that your story began with another story, with a book, thats I, I really love that fact. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny what um, how, how things come together. I mean, in that moment when I was 12 years old, I didn't know that it will become a really important part of my life. So... Yeah. Um, Yelena, and you didn't, the way that I understand it, you didn't have a similar background with Africa when, um, you know, when you and Anya agreed to work on the magazine together. What did Anya do to persuade you about Africa? And what were your first impressions of the continent when you when you visited? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. My, my first experiences weren't as, um, as beautiful or as epic as Anya's. But yeah, well, 
Anya and me, we were working together already for quite a time. She is the food and uh, travel journalist and me as a photographer. So we already did some stories on different topics together and we were already becoming friends. So she always talked about Africa and told me how beautiful this continent is and how she enjoys the travels and everything. So one day she told me, Yelena, my dream would be to make a magazine, a travel magazine, just about Africa. And I told her, okay. And she said, yeah, but I don't want to do it alone. <laughs> Would you do it with me? And I said, I just said, okay. <laughs> I I didn't have a clue what, what was uh, about to come and happen. Then Anya just said, yeah, you cannot agree to do a magazine about Africa with me and never been to Africa before. So we have to get you on the ground. So amazing as Anya is, she organized a research trip to South Africa and planned different stations. So we began in Cape Town and later we went on along the garden route to, to go to a private game reserve to do safari as well. And yeah, I was also very, na no, I was super naive. I didn't know what to expect. I was just curious and yeah but we arrived in Cape Town and everything was already overwhelming and absolutely beautiful and me being a big foodie as well so I was in culinary heaven already um, this is one of the points that convinced me <laughs> then but the, the, the epic point was when we came to the private game reserve and we got into the car and we were just on the way to, to the main lodge And then just randomly one elephant crossed our way. And this, I remember this moment so, so vividly. It's like seeing this elephant right now in front of my face because it was so, so mind blowing and life changing. And this elephant looked at us and I looked at the elephant and I, I had the feeling, okay, okay, this animal sees me or sees through me or I don't even know how to explain, but this was, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. This was when I realized, oh my goodness, yeah, I want to do this magazine. Uh, I, I'm curious, I'm invested, I, I want to do this, yes. It's wonderful how you have those specific moments that just make you, you know, as you say, give you goosebumps and make you fall in love with Africa. It's really amazing. You know, seeing as we, as we ended up talking about wildlife anyway, it's quite fitting. I wanted to talk to you specifically today about an issue of your magazine that was dedicated to gorillas and to the areas where you can do gorilla trekking. This is, it's quite a fascinating subject, I feel. Could you tell me, you know, why, I think it was, it was probably about the third issue of your magazine. How did you come to choose gorillas for that issue? You know, what was it that captured your imagination about it? I must be honest, in the beginning, it wasn't the intention to do this special, um, how it ended um, um, we just thought, okay, the, the thing is um, here in Germany, um, everybody's just talking about Africa. Like Africa is a big city like Joburg or New York or Paris. And we were as um, we were so fascinated by this whole continent and to see how, how big it is, how diverse in each country. So we thought we add in each issue a special to showcase an area 
in a deeper way or also a theme like it's like the gorillas for example so we started with the magazine and the first special was the gorongoro crater so a typical africa which comes to everybody's mind and then with the second one we thought okay we let's do the complete opposite we went to mauritius so a really blue and light place for africa and so Back in the third issue, we thought, oh, we need something darker again. And maybe we'd, we'd choose an animal. And as I was uh, really in love with the story of Diane Fossey and the movie and her book, um, Gorillas in the Mist, I thought, let's make gorillas. So that was the first intention. But we really learned that each of our specials, yeah, they take us and, uh, on a journey. And there, it's always a magic happening when we, when we choose a theme. And um, so our research trip to Rwanda was planned for March 2020. And, you know, I mean, there was this little thing called pandemic. So we canceled our trip to Rwanda um, the day before, which was good because um, on the day we should arrive, the, the first case was in Rwanda. So they shut down the gorillas immediately. So we couldn't have done anything in this, in this time. And we just postponed this trip, um, but we, we didn't know... Um, for how long? And then February 2021, we got the offer of a um, tour operator here in Germany see, to travel with them to Uganda. So we first seen the mountain gorillas in Uganda. With this, we thought, okay, um, let's let's do more about it. Just not only the mountain gorillas in Rwanda, just showcase all the gorillas because we we then understood ah uh, there's more than just one gorilla. There is there. Gorilla, there are so many subspecies and so many countries. So it became more and more. And last year, so um, in March 2022, we then um, traveled to Rwanda and um, it just became an amazing trip because um, not only because of the the trekking to the gorillas. So um, the um, Elden Elden DeGeneres um, campus was opened then, and we've um, yeah we've been so lucky that we've been the first ones um, on the ground. And so we met so many people on our journey with the gorillas. So many um, uh, people that are involved in protecting gorillas. It yeah it became something bigger than than we we thought, and we are really honored that we were able to do this a special about gorillas and also a little bit proud. And, you know, it's it's interesting that you, you bring up that, that issue of conservation and meeting all the people that are sort of invested and in working towards it. And Rwanda is really gaining quite a reputation for that kind of thinking and investment in, in conservation. As you said, there's the Diane Fossey Center and the Ellen DeGeneres campus. There's the African Leadership University that's, that has courses in conservation, you know, and I know that also aligns very much with the kind of themes and topics that you explore in your magazine. I know you have a sustainability issue coming up, for example. Did you know a lot about, you know, about Rwanda's conservation initiatives before you traveled? Was it part of, of the choice that, you know, was it part of, of the factors that influenced your choice? Or is this something that you came to find out about in the course of your journey through Rwanda? Um, well, let me answer this question. Um, we knew already before that uh, there was much going on and there, that there were made a lot of efforts, but we didn't know to the extent where, uh, well, we came to know more about when we were on the ground. So when we started talking to the people and that's where we 
really saw okay the government is putting a lot of effort into into conservation and is, has has been doing so many like um not commitment how do you call it cooperations with other players also yeah with african parks and with all the um, players from the safari industry who also well built their lodges on the ground and do amazing work so um it was also mind blowing or very impressive to see how they work together with the communities and to to make a sustainable effort to to um, protect the wildlife to protect the environment to um, to help people grow all together so that everyone um, works towards the same goal I, I, I remember um, after our trekking I did a little interview with our guide on that day and I asked him um, what do you love about your job? And I thought I will get an answer like, ah, oh, it's so amazing being surrounded by these magical animals every day. But his answer was, um, um, I'm so proud that I'm part of this big thing that I can bring a change to my community, that I can help my people. Because the, the surrounding communities, they're really, there is a a change that you really can see when you're there. So uh, the communities, they have now water, they have electricity, they build up schools so that the um, children don't have to walk 10 kilometers um, to, to be able to go to school. There are fin financial compensations um, if the gorillas from time to time, I mean, they're wild. So they come out of the um, national parks and that's where the, the farms are of the people from the community. So when the animals just take a snack from the, from their fields, there is a compensation, which is also higher than the money they would get when they would sell it um, on the market. So there are so many little things that you can see when you're there. And that's, that's really uh, impressive. That is one element that COVID shown the spotlight on in terms of travel. And, you know, I'm sure you must have come across this in, in the industry that you work with, that debate about nature-based tourism and how it contributes to, to African economies and rural communities. How do you find the right balance between tourism and development and conservation? In your opinion, what do you think is the importance of that? of that tourism? And do you feel that it contributes to, to the long-term success of conservation projects like the, like the gorilla project and how important it is, is it to have not only tourism, but tourism that involves the communities? I think it's vital. And it, as you said, it's not only in Rwanda. So everywhere we, we've traveled, we've seen, uh, so our, our baseline, I would say is like, we really love to work together For example, with and beyond, because I mean, we know how, how you work and what your real, your main purpose is. And to see um, that this kind of tourism really can make a change on the ground, I think is, is wonderful. And um, yeah, I think it's the only way to have a long term success in those areas for the people but also for the nature and for the wildlife so um and i think for this Rwanda is a magnificent example now you mentioned the the diane fossey um center and the ellen degeneres campus which was just 
had just been opened when you when you were there. And actually, fittingly enough, I was just chatting to a colleague of mine yesterday who'd very recently been, been there. And she was telling me about the interactive exhibits, um, you know, all about the guerrilla communication, the 16 different types of calls and, and all the things that you do there. Could you tell me a little bit more about that, about the center, about what you saw there, um, what you experienced um, and what, what your experience of it was? Oh, it was an amazing experience. Uh, first of all, we were so lucky to to arrive when it just had opened. So we were one of the first people ever, I think, <laughs> to uh, to set our foot um, on ground. And uh, well, first of all, it's it's a beautiful beautiful place, and it's filled with so much information in a very entertaining way. So there's a lot of interactive stations, as you told. And um, there's like a 360 degree cinema where you can sit in and you you're being surrounded by a gorilla family. So there's gorilla babies running around and te- well, with a human voice telling their story, and you're kind of immersed uh, in a gorilla community, and it's uh, super fun to watch. And also, yeah, um, learning the 16 types of gorilla calls is also super entertaining. And afterwards, you get tested. So Anya was being <laughs> tested, <laughs> doing some gorilla calls, and it was hilarious. It was so funny. I recorded some of this, and we were just cracking. It was amazing. Yeah, we learned about so many things, uh, like, for example, that gorillas have don't have a fingerprint, but a nose print, and every nose print is different. So you can recognize the gorillas by their nose print, which I didn't know before. Yeah, this is just a few of the things you can experience there. And also you can feel the the spirit of Diane Fossey also because they rebuilt the cabin. You you can enter the cabin and they they put in th- some things of Diane Fossey in there. So you kind of feel humbled when you go in there and it's... It's yeah, it's so emotional, really. Amazing. It's it's beautiful when you encounter something that brings it alive in that kind of way. Yeah, I think it's really unique and I think it's a perfect addition to the real gorilla tracking. So it it gives you a deeper deeper impact and uh, so you this this knowledge um which you get there completely change um the experience then in the national park with the gorillas. Guerrilla conservation in Rwanda has actually been a huge success story. And, you know, I think it's truly remarkable, especially given the challenges that the country itself as a whole has faced. Guerrilla numbers have grown from, I think, just over 300 in, in the late 60s, early 70s, to over 1,000 of them. Um, you know, based on what you experienced what you and what you heard talking to people, why would you say that conservation efforts there have been so successful? And also, what are the biggest threats that that mountain gorillas are still coming up against? Well, I guess uh, the success is mainly because everyone is combining forces. So everyone's working towards the same goal. So the government, um, the Diane Fossey Fund, the communities, everyone's like really, really focusing on protecting the mountain gorillas, of uh, letting them thrive. And uh, yeah, I guess it's just everyone working together. And still there are some 
some threats they're still facing, like, for example, traps and snares, uh, which still can be found some uh, places. Uh, not because the people want to, to hunt down gorillas, but, for example, antelopes just for, for food. And then the gorillas might trap in there, or it could be diseases. So there's still a, a few things that still are uh, dangerous for the mountain gorillas. But I think, yes, the, the efforts are paying off. And it's beautiful to see how how the, the numbers grow. So I um, I was last week, I was in Botswana, and um, I met um, a guy from the US who was traveling um, there. And he had a sighting of wild dogs and he came back to the camp and he said, yeah, I was uh, in Rwanda and the gorilla, yeah, it's all good. But uh, the wild dogs are the ones that should be protected more because um, there are enough gorillas. And I, I thought uh, that's that's not true. I mean, there, there will never be enough gorillas on this planet. Um, but the thing is, you see the change um, now for the gorillas in the last 10, 15 years. Um, and when you see when it started, so we, we are talking about decades of work um, from so many people, from so many foundations, from the tourism side. So there, and all those people work together for uh, half a century and and now you can say okay it's a good role model that you can see that working together on a big goal can make a change so i mean yeah the wild dogs are under pressure and um we have to do something but to see that it can work with the gorillas is i mean it's it's a wonderful um a gift for everybody and also a very good example for um for this kind of tourism also but I think you know it's, it, it's really interesting what you're saying, both about collaboration and about the time that it takes to do this. You know, that's something that our CEO, Joss Kent, I've heard him speak about this over and over again, that, you know, if you truly, truly want to make an impact, it's not about just having a three-year plan or a five-year plan or even a 10-year plan. You know, it's about consistent effort that spans decades and that goes that goes on indefinitely and, and 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 sustainably. So I think it's absolutely crucial. And obviously, you need to you need markers to to see how you are doing. But it's not a case of you know oh we'll focus on this species for three years and on that species for another couple of years and everything will be fine. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely not. Yeah, it's very much an an ongoing effort. And again, collaboration is crucial. And I think that's something. You know, that in, in the tourism industry, it's been so heartening to see that happen over the past three to five years, to see so many more um, companies coming together with common goals for the benefit of conservation. And we love this, to see this, because, I mean, that's the stories we want to tell. And uh, writing those kind of stories gives us so much, I mean, it's it's heartwarming and it gives up so much, yeah, it feels like we are, we are kind of, part of this movement because we we bring this these stories out to the people that hopefully then become travelers um, to this kind of tourism so I think we are part of this circle that makes us very proud mm, absolutely it's so important to to have a voice and we're so grateful for publications like African magazine that do focus on these topics rather than just you know travel travel can be very glamorous. But there's a lot that actually goes on behind the scenes. Definitely it is. <laughs> we really need to talk about the, the actual gorilla trekking itself, because obviously that is a bucket list item and a huge focus. So, you know, like 
you know, I think like most wildlife adventures, it is a case of being the right place at the right time. And there's a lot of information and a lot of, I think, also misinformation out there. And I know that gorillas sort of, you know, they live in in challenging habitat that's kind of difficult to get to. And you have to be with the right people and and be, be in the right place. Could I ask, you know, how did you prepare for, for the gorilla trekking to make sure you got the most out of it? You know, and then actually when, you know, on the day, when did it happen? And, you know, what, what was the whole process like? What was the terrain, the vegetation that you walked through? How long did it take you to get to the, to the gorillas? What was that whole process like? So I, um, I must say we prepared through reading, but also uh, uh, talking to people that um, done um, gorilla tracking before. So we learned from them, for example, to bring some garden gloves with us. And uh, we thought, okay, for what? But it was really helpful to have your your hands protected when you just uh, try to get away through the thick um, green. And we also heard, uh, be prepared for rain. But I must say... Um, we haven't been prepared for that kind of rain we experienced and on, on the day of um, our trekking because we were uh, in Rwanda for a week and it was sunny and warm and nice every day. Only the day when we had the trekking, it was pouring. I mean, it was really, it was water coming from all sides. So that makes, made our trek um, through the jungle um, really adventurous. So there was mud all over and it was not really a picture perfect moment. So uh, we were really black and wet and um, our boots stuck in the mud. And it was, uh, we, we, needed, we needed help to from the porters that joined us to, to get us out of the mud. In, uh, it was funny, and uh, but and we learned uh, this all is part of the experience. So uh, we just uh, we just took it as it was, and it was really yeah, it was fun, but it was also a big a bit exhausting. So we we walked, th- um, I would say. For two hours um, through the jungle, and we had a guy in front of us with a machete cut down branches so that we have a little small path through that green. Um, thick and just before we arrived I, mem- I remember we had a really magical moment because um, there was so we came out of the green and there was a little bit plateau and there was mist coming and it was really like it gave me goosebumps because it felt like the ghost of Diane Fossey is now with us so um, it was really really special and then when we arrived at the um, gorilla family it was just ugh, I-, I can't describe this feeling it was like um, meeting meeting um, someone you knew forever, but also a complete unique experience. And yeah, it was what was very, very special. So the animals were now in the, in the, in the beginning, we just seen a, a silverback and he was like, ah, I don't like this, this, this rainy it was scrumpy and, and like this. And yeah, it was really wonderful to see him so close. And yeah. Amazing. Well, I think that's the big difference. You know, for somebody who's used to to Big Five or or general wildlife safaris, you're on the vehicle, and while you know, while you might stop and look at the animals, I think gorilla trekking is so much more sort of face to face, and it it must be quite a different feeling. You know, okay, you've you've spoken a little bit about the silverback, but were there any special moments? Um, you know, that you witnessed family interactions, other other behavior. And also, you know, 
Was the experience what you expected or was there something about it that totally surprised you? Um, well, it was, first of all, like Anya told, um, we first saw the silverbacks sitting there being all grumpy and wet. <laughs> and um, we stayed there for a little while because he was the only one we saw in the beginning. And then the most amazing thing happened. Well, no, first of all, everyone tells you, okay, you have to keep a 10 meters distance to the gorillas. But the gorillas don't know about this rule. So um, <laughs> the silverback, um, when he just got tired of sitting there and being grumpy, I think he, he wanted to show us his strength or something like that because he kind of started whistling and inflating his chest. And then he really, he marched directly almost into our group, beating his chest. He was like, I don't know, maybe 20 centimeters away from us, just walking, walking past. And then I got a little heart attack, <laughs> just a little one. <laughs> yeah, this was really exciting. And, um, but we also then immediately afterwards, all the family came down and we saw little gorillas, uh, mom gorillas, like the whole family interacting, picking their noses, uh, playing, and yeah, just, just being happy, happy gorillas. Uh, so this was amazing to see and also to look them right into their eyes or into their faces and realizing that, oh my God, we're so much the same. And it was just amazing. I think you could repeat this. I think you could re repeat gorilla tracking over and over and again. And each um, experience is completely different. That's, I think, um, yeah, I I definitely want to do it another time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, wonderful. But I must say, Kasia, it is the funny thing is when we started the magazine, Yelena told me, I do everything with you, but no apes. <laughs> yeah yeah but i have to defend myself because <laughs> i was i was terrified of all well apes because um um when i was a child it it, it was a stupid experience i was uh going with my sister to a circus which is awful and they had small monkeys in a cage with which was also awful but as kids we didn't know anything so uh, my sister saw that in the cage there was a baby monkey and she wanted to pet the baby monkey so she started petting the baby monkey and then the mom obviously came wasn't too happy and bit my sister in, in the hand so this is where I got my ape trauma. And this is <laughs> when I told Anya, no, I don't want to see apes. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we solved it. I'm happy now. I want to see gorillas every day if I can. I, I, I think we solved this trauma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So this was good therapy then. Uh, it's, it's amazing, those childhood traumas. I mean, when I was a child, my, my brother convinced me that camels were bloodthirsty animals that would bite you and give you blood poisoning. <laughs> and I also spent years being terrified of camels. Oh no! <laughs> so when did when did you solve your trauma? <laughs> I'm, I'm still getting there. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very glad that that you're you know you've made your peace with gorillas, yeah. Yelena. <laughs> um, Anya, I think you were the one who said you know every that that every gorilla trekking adventure is a, is different, and you could do it over and over again. 
you know, you'd mentioned that before you, you went to Rwanda, you actually had an opportunity to, to um, interact with gorillas in, in Uganda. Could you give a, give me a bit of insight, you know, how different or how similar was that experience? And yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I mean, it's, it's different, difficult to compare because as you said, um, I can't say it's always like this, um, how we experience it on the day in Uganda. Um, so you have those 60 minutes with the gorillas and that's the same um, um, time um, you have in Rwanda. So our weather was on the day in Uganda, it was better. So it was warmer and we we thought maybe it it makes the gorillas feeling feeling a bit more comfortable. But the group we um, visited in Uganda was like, a kind of, kind of shy so they were constantly moving so we, we the, the 60 minutes start when you have the first sighting of a gorilla so uh, we've seen a silverback and he just turned around and i mean it's such a huge animal but this green it, he disappeared and it was just like he, he wasn't there but our 60 minutes they they already started the whole hour was like this so they were we, we just had a a little glimpse of a gorilla and then we run uh, so they run away and we um, followed them so it was complete a different experience i'm i would say from so what i heard often about um, people saying um, about uh, trekkings in rwanda that the gorillas there are a little bit more habitated uh, and sometimes i have the feeling that the um, people are saying this in a like in a bad way because they say they say it like that those are not wild animals anymore but my experience was um, there's still wild animals in rwanda but you must see when the, the um, work of Diane Fossey started and uh, many families you can visit in Rwanda in our days, they they have still family members that knew Diane Fossey. So there are like like uh, a lion you see um, with a car. I mean, they're not interested in a car just because it's it's common for them and that's that's the same in Rwanda I'm not sure if if the Ugandan um, gorillas are not that well habituated um, I, I think it's compl uh, com uh, complicated to to compare those kind of experience because I think it's it's the same like you you have it um, on the ground when you're doing a proper safari so um, the one morning you see lions the other morning you see nothing so um, I uh, so that I think it's difficult to compare Rwanda to Uganda I could just can say on our trip so the, the experience was completely different as the weather was better so you have 60 minutes when you're going on a gorilla trek and this is the same uh, time you have in Uganda and Rwanda so the, the this time starts when um, you see the the first gorilla and in Uganda we had a family that was kind of shy, so they were constantly moving. And when we seen the first um, mount, uh, the, the first silverback, it just turned around and disappeared in this thick green. And it's really stunning how they can cover themselves in this bush. So we, it, the sixty minutes was really like uh, running behind them and just always get a little glimpse of them in in this green environment so it didn't feel like we are together with them and surrounded by them so that's why i must say our experience in rwanda was um 
better, if you might uh, name it like this. Um, I often heard people that, um, saying that um, the Rwandan mountain gorilla is more habituated um, to the people. And they, they say it like in a, in a bad way, like um, they're not wild anymore. But I must say, when you think about when did Diane, Diane Fossey start with her work? And uh, there are still family members in those gorilla families that used to live with Diane Fossey. So they are really, um, they, they know hu humans since since they are born. Um, so, and I must say, if I do this once in a lifetime trip and I want to see gorillas, I really want to see them and be with them and have the feeling I can yeah just be part of their family so maybe also because i'm i'm a fan of the Di diane fossey's story and the um, brilliant work she did for for the gorillas i i would prefer to go to rwanda also when i see what the tourism the ecotourism is doing in this country yelena there's something that i've actually been dying to ask you as a photographer because so often you see these beautiful photos of gorilla trekking and i know i remember like actually the cover of of your issue on gorillas had such a fantastic photograph on it and yet you were talking about how terrible the conditions were and that it was pouring with rain and obviously the lighting can't also be that great in in the rainforest are there any tips and tricks that you can share with, you know, like an average photographer who who wants to get some memorable photos of, of their gorilla, gorilla trekking adventure? Um, well, it would be helpful to have a good camera, like, yeah, good SLR camera with um, good high ISO performance. This would be a really important point because it can get quite dark, especially when it's raining, especially when you're surrounded by greenery and big trees and stuff like that. So you have really, you have to push your camera to, to the limits it can give you. And not also only that, but um, also to have the right lenses with you, because depending on how close or how far away you are from the gorillas, you want to be sure to, to have the opportunity to take good photos. So I would suggest take two lenses with you, one with a medium focal length and one telephoto lens so that you can change to take some more close-ups of the gorillas or um, the gorillas a little more far away with, uh, with the surroundings. Or if you don't want to carry so much stuff with you, uh, make sure you have like one lens which can cover it all. Yeah, just go to your camera retailer and get good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a good weatherproof bag to put it on all in, right? Oh, yes. Right, <laughs> right, right. A rain cover, uh, which funnily enough, I had a rain cover on my camera because obviously it was pouring down. And then um, I didn't see anything because uh, the rain cover got foggy and then I didn't see, okay, what, what, what am I taking pictures of right now? So I thought, okay, Either I take pictures or I don't because I don't see anything. So I removed the rain cover. My camera got soaking wet and I just I just thought, okay, well, if the camera dies, it dies, but at least I have the pictures. So this is also where good equipment pays off because the good equipment, the really good equipment can Absolutely. take some rain. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that, that's very helpful, all of that. Thank you so much. Okay, now, obviously, gorilla trekking is absolutely a bucket list um, 
item for anybody who's going to Rwanda. But I know that on your itinerary, you also visited Akagera National Park. I'm quite familiar with it because of the amazing work that African Parks has been doing there and because and beyond has worked with them with them quite a lot on that. But I don't think that very many people think of Rwanda in terms of any kind of safari experiences other than gorillas. Was Akagera a place that you had heard of before you started looking at your trip to Rwanda? And why did you decide to include it on your itinerary? Um, so when we started planning our trip to Rwanda, we um, we somehow realized that Akagera National Park offers the opportunity to, to see the big five. And we didn't know that about we didn't know that before. So um, we thought, okay, why just go to Rwanda just to visit the gorillas and nothing else? We thought, okay, this country has to offer more and we're curious. Yeah, we want to experience Ekagera National Park just because it's another part of the country and with another ecosystem, right? Uh, has a savanna nature. So, um, and with the big five, we just wanted to see an experience. And we also heard about the relocation of the uh, 30 white rhinos and beyond uh, did uh, or relocated together with African parks, right? So um, we were kind of curious to to see. So we went there and, um, and the, the landscape is beautiful. It was amazing to see also with the lakes and everything. Um, Unfortunately, we haven't seen all big five on our short trip, but that's always, you know, as it is, you can have, you can be lucky or you can't, but, um, we, we saw a lot of birds. There are so many birds over there and we did some interesting rides with our, um, with our guide also in the night. And he just switched out the, the motor of the vehicle just to listen to the sounds of the night. And this, everything is so well adds to a beautiful experience so and we did a boat tour on the lake we got a little chased by a hippo <laughs> by an unhappy hippo <laughs> so we got a little action as well um and yeah we're so glad that we experienced this side of the country as well and i'm, I'm and i must say i think it's really wonderful to see that uh, there is more about um, rwanda than just the gorillas or the chimpanzees so that you really can um, yeah, do a whole Africa trip in this small country in the middle of Africa. So I know a lot of people tend to try and combine it with Kenya or with Tanzania, but I think yeah. there's so much work being done on conservation and so much effort being put into it. I think it really yeah. Rwanda really is an up-and-coming all-around safari destination. Yeah, definitely. And to see, um, so if you look on the story of the Akagara National Park, that was devastated after the genocide and now also again um, people are coming together and join forces to to bring it back to where it was um, centuries ago and um, yeah I think that's that's really wonderful to see and to see that the Rwandan government does so much for this country I mean sure to bring people with money visiting this country but in the end um, also it helps the people, the, the landscapes, nature, the animals. So I, 
uh, I think it's really um, wonderful to see what's happening there. Having your kind of unique insight and access to the people that you spoke to, you know, overall, what would you say was your impression of the way that ecotourism and conservation are managed in Rwanda as a whole? I must say, um, as I just said, I would say Rwanda is a really role model for this kind of um yeah, impact um, for and and it's wonderful to see how um, ecoterrorism can make a change uh, and leave a positive impact for people, for nature, for wildlife, so that you really can see if everybody works together on that one goal, uh, it really can come true and uh, it can make a change. And um, we are trying to support with our stories companies that have this this DNA in mind and. Um, yeah, I think it's it's really the support opens so many doors and helps boost positive change. And it's 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 yeah, fantastic. OK, just to round off with, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're aware there's been a lot of talk, especially since COVID times, about the sustainability of travel, you know, and the resources that go into traveling and over tourism. As travel journalists, what is your feeling on that? Um, is it sustainable to travel to destinations like Rwanda? Um, and should people be doing it? Oh, they definitely should. <laughs> they definitely should. I think um, through tourism, um, you can bring change. And um, it depends on the kind of tourism, what kind of change you bring. Because there's tourism and there's tourism, obviously. So um, there's mass tourism, which kind of destroys everything or not well, doesn't have a positive impact. Um, it just brings joy to the travelers and fills some pockets of some people um, who work in this industry. Um, or there can be the uh, sustainable ecotourism, which really um, cares about the bigger picture, which involves everyone, which doesn't destroy. Um, and I think this kind of tourism is really beneficial. Um, for all players, and I think uh, if you if you look on the pandemic, you, you, uh, we all see uh, have seen how how important tourism is, especially for Africa. How many um, people are so? If I'm not sure the numbers were one uh, employee in the industry um, covers the food of ten to fourteen people, and um, so. I mean, it, it's so important that our people are traveling to Africa and that they choose wisely with whom and where they they go. And um, I think if they um, go to places that have those this mindset, um, um, it's really a win-win situation because they have a wonderful experience and they really can make a change with their journey to Africa. Absolutely. You know, I always think about um, a conservation manager that I met quite early on in when I started working in tourism. And he always used to say that you can only really protect the places or the things that you love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think travel plays such a huge role in getting people to fall in love with these wild places. Yeah. And I think uh, when once fallen in love, you will never stop traveling to Africa. And thank you so much also for, for the role that magazines like yours play in, you know, examining these issues and and speaking about the destinations and about the tourism operators that that are doing so much to combine tourism and to work with sustainable tourism. Oh, thank you. I mean, um, you help us giving um, all those people a 
a voice um, and I hope that many people that um, hear about what and beyond is doing or the stories we are writing about really um, just um, travel. Anya and Yelena, thank you both so much. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and I really, really appreciate the time. Oh, thank you for having us. It was amazing talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kesha. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about and beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.